Number 11, Marco Reus, Borussia Dortmund. Welcome to the Dortmund Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Dunn. Coming up on today's show, we have Mark from BVB Miami joining me. We're going to talk about uh, Hurricane Irma. We're going to talk about the Freiburg match, our recap on that, and we're going to talk the Champions League. But first, I just got to get this off my chest before we get to the interview with Mark. Um, It was kind of a pathetic performance by Dortmund today. And you look at the Christian Pulisic of the world and you look at him, and he just did not have it. You, He looked like a player that traveled from North America all the way back to Germany and had to play 90 minutes. You look at Mario Gertz. He's not a guy that's played over 60 minutes in any of the matches. And what does he play? He plays 80 minutes and ineffective in those 20 minutes. From 60 to 80, he was ineffective. You look at the the way Freiburg played, and it was a, you got to give him credit. They hunkered down. They got the job done. But Dortmund lacked ideas, and you'll hear it in the interview, me talk about the fact that Zagadou was ineffective because he is a center back playing left back, and when you don't have a player that can take a full back on, take a winger on, and try to put a cross in, it's literally losing a player. Even though it was 11 versus 10, half the time Zagadou didn't even count, so it was 10 on 10, and it was a straight wall of Freiburg players that couldn't be broken down. It was just annoying watching Peter Boss. I get it, two injuries. You can't control that. But what you could have done was make adjustments during the game or make adjustments at halftime or play five minutes and say, okay, this is how they're going to play. We change it up. And you'll hear a little bit about what me and Mark talk about, talking about the contents of maybe a formation change and how important that could have been. But it really chaps my ass that we should have taken all three points. We're going into Champions League. Spurs just put a whipping on Everton away from home, and now they're going to come back to Wembley. And who do they face? A lackluster Dortmund side that now have to travel from Germany to London and play on Wednesday at Wembley Stadium, the, the biggest stadium in England as well. And those are some factors that you have to deal with. So it just really bothered me. You play an hour with 10 men with Freiburg, an hour with a one-man advantage, and they just blew it. They blew an opportunity. Now Bayern, they play 15 minutes from now, and they're going to probably put a 5-1 spot up and really lay the smack down, and they're going to take control, and this is the bad thing. There's some positives. The defense is a positive. They got the depth there, but the biggest negative I can take away from this match is the sheer fact that they played an hour with an extra man, and they did nothing. And we just wasted an opportunity to keep the pressure on Bayern Munich. And now, guys, let's get to my interview with Mark from BVB Miami to talk about the Freiburg match. You are listening to the Dortmund Podcast. Join me on the line is our great buddy. He's one of the most fantastic follows on Twitter, especially Dortmund Twitter. We have Mark BVB Miami. You can also follow him on Twitter at, at Miami1909. How you doing this morning, Mark? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Endured a 
a tough performance on TV with Dortmund right now, what we just saw, but can't complain, man. At least I got to see my team play in this hurricane, so you know what? Got to take the positive out of it, so at least I got to see my team play. How about you, man? I mean, it's pretty exciting to be able to, like, come back from vacation and then you get this great weekend of, of footy and you start the morning off, you see Manchester City demolish uh, Liverpool, you're like 5-0, you're like, okay, Dortmund, let's go into this, let's go put a result in, let's have this fantastic moment, you know, we're playing in the Champions League and we will be talking about the Champions League group after we recap uh, what we just saw in the Freiburg match, but we also want to send our thoughts and our prayers with Mark and all of his, you know, his people down oh, in Southern you. Florida. You know, Hurricane Irma is no joke. This is a Category 5 storm. And, Mark, what are the people doing down there? Before we even get to the match, like, what are what are the people down there doing? Are they leaving? Are they hunkering down? What is your family doing? What are you doing? It depends what, what part of Florida you're located at. If you're more on the coastline, they pretty much told you evacuate. But if you're, if you're mainland and going inside on the coast, then it just depends on the flooding because... That's the biggest part with these hurricanes. The the hurricanes bring all the water they have accumulated over time in the in the ocean, mm-hmm. and that's where most where most of the damage is done. So it just depends. Like if you're a resident of the beach, then they told you to evacuate on the coast. And but nothing, man. We just uh, we moved inland a little bit, mm-hmm. so we're just bunkering down here. We put up our shutters uh, and just riding out the storm, man. Like classic Floridians. <laughs> Hey, I I have all my thoughts and all my prayers with you guys. It's a it's a tough situation, oh, you, and you have the people in Houston and Louisiana. They get hit hit about a week or two ago, and then it's you guys. And not only do you guys have to deal with Irma, you have I think Hurricane Jose right afterwards. So you're just you're just taking not one beating, you're taking two beatings back to back. So it's just dis- take it. <laughs> it's just disappointing because Florida is just one of my favorite places, and you know my. You know, I grew up going there every single year, and it's just such a horrible thing to happen to such a great state and to such great people like yourself. So let's jump into the to the Freiburg versus Dortmund match. As we mentioned, it was a it was a very very long ninety minutes to endure. And what's what did you make of the performance? Give me two three things that you just saw, and just give me your thoughts on it. Like, give me three things that just really stood out to you that you you were just baffled by. Baffled. <laughs> I was baffled by the whole 90 minutes. I was baffled by that tackle that Rave made on Schmelzer. Mm. What a terrible tackle that was. And you have to feel for Marcel. Just came back from injury 27 minutes into the game. And you saw it in his face. He, he had his shirt over his eyes, probably crying. Got uh, stretchered off. Yeah, it, that, that tackle was baffling to me. That just that foreshadowed how the whole game was going to go. And what did you and, make of yeah, the VAR was, decision? Did you like that the VAR finally? We've seen it in the Confederations mm-hmm. Cup, and it doesn't. And then and it, it wasn't working. Offsides goals, onside goals. You know, penalties not given. But finally, we see a VAR decision that is used correctly. Okay, the referee saw it in for in real time. I give a yellow. He goes and sees it again, and he's like, "Oh, that that's a red card." So, what did you make of that decision mm-hmm. as well? I thought that was the only positive from the match. Uh, but as you kept uh, seeing the, the replay and you kept seeing how malicious of a tackle that was, uh, every time you saw it, you were just saying, that's got to be a red, that's got to be a red, that's got to be a red. And the ref finally took a look at it and they gave the red. And like I, like you said, man, the VAR is new, so it's a lot of, it's in that phase, how you're testing it out, you see what's the right and the wrong, and they got this one right. Mm-hmm. So 
that was the only positive from the game I took, and a lot of negatives if you want to get into that. Uh, I want to get into the negatives, and I want to talk about players that disappointed you today because I'm watching this match, and I looked at Christian Pulisic. He went through two grueling, tough qualification matches, and it looked like a kid that was a little bit tired from all the traveling. I didn't think he had 90 minutes. Obviously, the two injuries affected the substitutions, and we'll get to the Yarmo substitution. That, that was a big problem, yeah. Yeah, he looked like he lacked the legs. And then once Freiburg went down to 10 men, I, I you had to give them credit, and you also got a feel for the fans because if they have to Absolutely. watch Freiburg play like that week in and week out, I feel bad for Freiburg fans. What a awful... You got to give Freiburg credit. Yeah. yeah they, they parked the bus, they, they were man down, and they did their job. They, remember, when you play against a team like Freiburg, you got to know that they're going to sit in and they're going to stay compact and it's going to be on you to break them down. And even with a man down, they sat in there, they did their job, they held us a collective unit and you got to give them props. Christian Strike is a really good coach and I I tip my hat to him. He played that very well. I mean, in the way they defended as a unit, I mean, 10 people, the ball was exclusively played in in the final third, it seemed like, of Freiburg. 83% possession, Tyler. 83%. And you look at that percentage, but... You look at the player that disappointed me the most, Nuri Sahin disappointed me. I expected him to be, you know, plucking passes and trying to be more precise. But if you looked at it, Zagadou isn't a fullback that takes on anybody. And you have him out wide to the left. That's just, you've literally just taken a player out. So it was really... Exactly, yeah. You take the whole left side out yeah. of the out of contention for any any type of play you're going to create. And what so they, it just became stagnant in the middle. And what they should have done is had Zagadou come in because he is, how tall is he, 6'2", six, 6'3"? Six, I mean, he's a big kid. He's not, he's not. 6'4", I think. He, he, he's massive. He's an athlete. What you should have done is put Phillips out there and had Phillips put the crosses in and then hope that Zagadou and some of the bigger players could have got a flick on, and obviously maybe a Bumiang could have fallen on it, Gertz could have fallen on it, and maybe something could have happened. But Sahin disappointed me because he moved the ball slowly, he was ponderous on the ball, and when he tried to play a forward pass, he found nobody. Who disappointed you today? Who's one or two players that disappointed you today? See, the, the whole midfield, that trio of Goldsick, Sahin, and Castro, they were the most disappointing for me. Because the whole time, when you when you sit back in the way that Freiburgers are doing, the only way you're going to break it, that team down is with quick one-two passes. Decisive, just get in there, be creative. And Sahin, Goldstein, and Castro, like you said, they just took their time the whole game. They were just picking their passes, just seeing, oh, what can we do here? What can we do there? We have time. And it was just very disappointing because Philip Pulisic and Obama, you saw them all making runs the whole game. And they were just happy with putting the ball wide to Pisek, Schmelzer, back to Bartra. Well, not not even Bartra, but Toprak and Socrates. Mm-hmm. It was just uh, very disappointing, especially from Sahin. He's been so good at the start of the season. But, I mean, you can't expect him to be man of the match every game. So, mm-hmm. I guess you could see this one coming. Yeah, he just, it just, you were watching it and you're seeing it. And the way that they play that midfield three, they were just too close to each other. And Freiburg is so yep. compact and so narrow. What you needed to do is... One needed to go a little bit wider, and then another one needed to go out to the opposite side. And so they could move the ball left to right quicker and quicker and quicker and try to make Freiburg come out of the shell. But as we mentioned, Zagadou was out wide to the right. Pijak was making good runs. It was just the balls weren't that good. They found one good one. And it wasn't a shot because that headed one that he had laid on, 
that wasn't a cr- that wasn't a shot. That was a cross header, and it just everything just didn't work out. The crosses couldn't find nobody. The final tall in the final third on the on the deck couldn't find anybody. It was just an ultimately frustrating day. Just seeing them try to do it, but it was the lack of ideas. I think that upset me more than anything. It because, felt like a classic Thomas. When things weren't right for Thomas Tuchel, it was beautiful. But mm-hmm. when things were not going right for him, it was just a pain to watch all game. Mm-hmm. And I, I was kind of disappointed with Peter Bosch a little bit in mm-hmm. this game, tactically, the way the way he, he well, he didn't adjust. And mm-hmm. I, I wanted him to adjust. And the way, like we like we mentioned, if we were sitting so far back, I think we should have gone to a back three, and we should not have put Zagadou in. We should have put another midfielder in, like Dahu and, and Kagaba. And just apply that pressure in the middle because Freiburg were playing with the back six the whole game, mm-hmm. and that was they wanted us to put the ball wide, and we put the ball wide the whole time, and we just played right into their game plan. And I expect a little more out of Bosch, but like I said, man, we we can't expect brilliance from our, from our team every single match, and these performances are bound to happen. And you look at Bosch, I think it, the two injury substitutions in the first half, I think, really handcuffed him. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. you look at it, he's like, okay, Zagadou's been really fantastic in Schmelzer's, you know, absence. Okay, he should go on. Because you, you look at it, especially at the time he came on, it's the 30th minute. Do you go to a back three right then? I Maybe no. But it, what you could have done is gone to the back three because Zagadou is a natural center back. You could have gone to a back three later on, but he just didn't make the adjustments. I think he thought his team was good enough. And this is where the Yarmolenko substitution comes in. And I'll give my take on it, and you can give your take on it. But I think when he would have came on, Yarmolenko should have came on maybe 10, 10 minutes earlier because only 11 minutes of him, he really couldn't get an influence on the game and really get a flow. And it really, it really bothered me because I thought, I get it, the two injuries, you don't want to sacrifice, but Gertz didn't look, it looked like Mario was, he lost a couple of steps, and he didn't look like he had the energy or the engine anymore. He wasn't playing more than 60 minutes leading up to that game, and now you're asking him to play 20 more minutes than he has all season, and you could tell in those last 20 minutes, Dortmund did not have a big punch in them. They started the half well, they got that corner, and then once you got past that 60th minute mark, I'm saying, where's Yarmo? Where's Yarmo? And Yarmo comes on, but it just seemed all but wasted because you didn't give him enough time to really get an influence on the game and really try to get into the pockets and try to be a difference maker. And the position he was put into. Yes. Like, you, you can't ask him to succeed in 10 minutes in that spot. Yeah. What I would have done is I would have switched to the back three at halftime with Zagadou, uh, Socrates, and Toprek in there. Mm-hmm. And then you fall Goldset, I mean, uh, Castro and Shaheen in there. And I would have taken Goldset off at halftime, like you said, with the fitness issues. Mm-hmm. And just that that foursome up top will fill up Aubameyang, Pulisic, and Yarmolenko. Just be creative, make runs. You don't have to necessarily be in a set formation because that's what Freiburg wants. Mm-hmm. So we just lack creativity all game. And the, the most baffling stat for me is 27 shots, three on target. So, that just says it all. So you say 27 shots, 3 on target, and Socrates, the captain on the day, the Greek god, as people uh-huh. like to call him, I thought, I kid you not, I didn't look at the stats before we started recording and before I wrote down the questions. Uh, I thought uh, Dortmund had 51 shots on, 
you know, 51 shots, and I thought Socrates took 50 of those shots. Because every time, I kid you not, I thought it was only him taking shots. I was like, and Socrates with a shot, and here's another corner for Dorman. And, oh, there's a shot, and that goes wide. I'm sitting there like, was it the tactics to take the shots? Because sometimes, you know, when teams are playing like that, you take the long shots and you hope for a shot to be parried or blocked, and it lands to you. But if something, you know, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and, try, and thinking you're going to get a different result. And Socrates kept on doing the same thing, and the result was pretty much the same every time, and he didn't do anything. I think that that there goes, again, the, the ideology and the lack of ideas. What did you make of him taking all these shots? Do you think it was him being told to take these shots, or do you think he just did it by himself? I think he was too focused on that one long shot he had last season and just thought he was going to pull it out somehow, some way, all game this season. But like you said, he was taking shots, and Freiburg, every time they saw him take a shot, they clapped their hands, they had a smile on their face, they said, go ahead, Socrates. Mm -hmm. That was not going to do anything, and that's that was the game plan. Mm -hmm. Frustrate the middle and focus the possession on the center backs for Dortmund and allow them to make mistakes. And we made mistakes the whole game, and like I said it, because it was, it was a brilliant game plan, honestly, from Christian Strike. You really have to give him the credit. Because you're a man down against Borussia Dortmund and the way he set him up and the discipline that they played with. So Soyuncu today was fantastic. Mm-hmm. He had a bombing in his pocket the whole time. And, yeah, it, it, they, they had them in their pockets. And Socrates could do nothing. He just took shots. And it, it puts me at a loss for words because I'm trying to describe this right now. And... There's just no words to describe it. No, it's just, uh, it was a, a, a it was it was a pathetic performance. But I'll take I'll yeah. I got one positive for you, and I want to know what you think about this. Last year, Dortmund only had one clean sheet on away from home. First three matches, they got two clean sheets away from home. Can we take any positives in the strength of the defense? I mean, Bartha comes off injured, and we're all oh no. But Topper comes in, and I mean, obviously he didn't really have to defend that much. But it really showed the strength in the defense and the strength and depth at the center back position that Dortmund have. They they are a good team, and even if somebody leaves next year, they still have Zagadou that can go and play center back next year and could slot in and be first choice there. I'm so high on this Dortmund team, and I'm so high on the center back position for them. This is probably the strongest center back pairing or core they've had. And, I mean, obviously they had Matt Hummels, who's one of the best in Germany and one of the best in the world, and he moved on to, to Bayern last year. But the strength and depth they have at that position is very, very scary, and that could make them legitimate title contenders. Even if you lose somebody, you have a top brick that comes in and can defend very, very well. Obviously his final ball in the final third is not that good, but you don't pay him to be you know, playing you know, pinpoint passes into the box against 10-men Freiburg. Is that a positive you can take out that defensively Dortmund are going to be so much better away from home compared to last season? Yeah, 100% we will be. Mm-hmm. And that that's the difference. Like you said, we have strength and depth. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the team last year, Barcher would have come off. Who would have come on? Bender? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it just would not have worked. And that leaves you open to the counter in the back end. Honestly, I think last year we would have lost this game. Yeah. But... Like you said, we have strength and depth, and that is the most important thing, especially in defense, because that's been our biggest weakness the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm ecstatic with the idea of having someone of Topar's quality and his discipline coming off the bench, and just you don't lose anything when he comes on, and mm-hmm. that's 
that's the most important thing for Peter Boss, especially in these away matches. You need someone who's disciplined, composed, and knows what he's doing, and smart. And they have the perfect man to, to do that on top of coming off the bench. And Zagadu, like you mentioned, I'm excited to see him at center back, but we haven't seen him there yet. So I, I would love to see him there. And another thing that people I don't think realize, there's no Guerrero yet. And, you know, Schmelzer only played 25 minutes, so can we really count him being back in the lineup? No. This team will only get and better. Who knows how long he's out for now? Yeah, good point. He could be out for he could be out for a couple of days. He could be out for a couple of months. Hopefully, fingers crossed. That it's serious. it's not what it's a not, bad tackle that it's, was. Yeah, awful wow. tackle. So fingers crossed that Schmelzer isn't too badly injured. But another player that is injured but making the road to recovery is Julian Weigel. He made an appearance in the U23s today, so that's got to. It's very exciting for us, especially with Champions League football coming back. Uh, is there any positives? One last thing about the match today. Any positives that we can take going into the Champions League match against Spurs at Wembley before we jump into the Champions League draw and who uh, Dortmund got in their group? I think you mentioned it before. The defense mm-hmm. that was our biggest problem last year, and especially when you're going to face a high-quality opposition with Harry Kane, Christian Eriksen, all the people Tottenham have, you're going to need to make sure that you have people back there that can do the job. And that's the one thing, if anything, you can take from this game that will be fine defensively at least uh, come Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm not sure what the day is. I think or Wednesday. But, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm pretty sure it's Wednesday, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, we'll be fine in defense, but you, you wonder how Zagadou's going to play in that left-back spot mm-hmm. come on Wednesday because Tottenham, they, they're a dangerous side and we aren't just playing Freiburg, Wolfsburg, Hertha Berlin. We're playing in the Champions League against the second place team in the Premier League last mm-hmm. year. So and, and it's going to be interesting. And a team that currently is up 3 to nothing against Everton away from home as well with Harry Kane getting mm-hmm. two goals as well today and Christian Eriksen, two of the players you mentioned. These are very, very good players that have good chips on the shoulder. But the one positive that we do have is Dortmund fans and Dortmund and as the Dortmund podcast, uh, we're playing at Wembley, and Spurs are really bad at Wembley. So we can we can take everything with a grain of salt, and and we can it's just almost a neutral game, if anything. Exactly. So we're we're in it. We're in the thick of it. If Chelsea can play at Wembley with seven defenders and win two to one, I think Dortmund <laughs> could win with no defenders, like five to one against this Spurs team who are bad at Wembley. So let's go into the Champions League uh, group of death for Dortmund. Not a surprise, something that tends to happen to them. That you know, yeah, they, mean, every year, man. Every year, every year, they're they're never dealt an easy hand. They're never dealt a uh, a hand that says, "Oh, that's not that's not a bad group. That that's manageable." This is a tough group. We have the defending reigning world champions, Real Madrid. We have Spurs and Nepal. What do you make of the group? It's for sure the best group in the draw. Oh yeah, uh, I can't even see it. Maybe. Atletico, Chelsea, and Roma, but that that, is, that doesn't even compare. I mean, mm. You have Tottenham that can easily honor, like, they can win the group. Yeah. No, no doubt. If a couple things go their way, someone gets injured, so you have three elite sides in this group. And Applewell, by the way, are no pushovers. They are regulars in this competition, and they will frustrate you, and they could they could get a point or two. Mm. So it's just a a group that is extremely deep and every game that we watch is going to be a fantastic match going to be goals galore and i'm excited to see how it plays out but i every time we've been in a group with real madrid we've come out on top so 
this is my hot take of the week here, Tyler. I really think we're going to win this group. We're two for two in Real Madrid, and I have my faith in, in Dortmund as always, man. I think it'll be us on top of Real Madrid second. Mark has been, t- you mean him have been talking for the last week or two since I've gone on vacation <laughs> that he's wanted to talk about this group stage. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, it was, I think, last Sunday, and I looked at, I was going through the, my DMs, and I was reading it, and I was like, I wonder what he's gonna say. He's really excited about I've this. I've been dying to say that. He's I've been, been dying. I, he's I'm been dying. <laughs> you know what? You heard it here first on the Dortmund podcast that Mark BVB Miami 1909 on Twitter is saying that Dortmund are going to win the group against probably, arguably, the greatest side ever assembled, <laughs> better than the original Galacticos. I mean. You look at it, and that's just a hell of a team. You saw them train during the summertime, and that was without Ronaldo. Yeah. And, that was beautiful. And we got to say a special happy birthday to Luka Modric. I mean, he's just a stellar player, and it's going to be a stellar group, as you mentioned. The play is tremendous. Uh, the players are going to be tremendous as well. Three elite sides, uncomparable. You know, you mentioned the Chelsea-Roma group and Athletic group. That's a good one. But Atleti's taking a step back in quality this year. Roma's taking a step back. And Chelsea, they're kind of still the same, maybe a little bit, a little worse than they were last season. You look at this group. This is just a tremendous group. First match, it's Spurs, it's it's Dortmund, it's at Wembley. Describe me on a scale of 1 to 10 how excited you are that Champions League is back and then you get to play against a side like Spurs in the Champions League to start off the group stages? Uh, I mean, I'm about a low 15 right now. We got Champions League, we got NFL back, we got regular soccer on a weekly basis. It's just the best time of sports here, Tyler. Mm. I mean, there's no reason not to be ecstatic right now. All right, give me a prediction for the first match. Are are Spurs losing at Wembley? Is Spurs drawing at Wembley? Or is Dortmund winning at Wembley? I think we take it. It'll for sure be a very interesting game, and we have two brilliant managers on hand, and that's going to be the main focus. It's going to be Pochettino versus Bosch, how they tinker their lineups, because both of these managers like to play high-pressing football, high-tempo football, and the styles will clash. And it's going to be interesting to see who gets a chance, who takes their chance. And you see the quality Tottenham have in Harry Kane, Christian Eriksen, but we have it too. So it's going to be, it'll be a game that, It'll be close, it'll be even, and it's just going to come down to that one moment, who takes their chance. And if I'm a betting man, I put my money on Dortmund because we're consistent in the Champions League. Tottenham haven't looked that good recently in the Champions League. They didn't even make it to the, the last stages last year. Nope. So, especially in Wembley, that is the biggest factor. So that's why I have my money on, on Dortmund for this game. And one little interesting tidbit before we wrap this up with Mark. He did mention the pressing styles of both Dortmund and Spurs. Spurs played at the second smallest stadium in the Premier League last season, and they were so effective at home because they could press consistently without wasting a lot of... And when you move to Wembley, it is the biggest stadium in size and width and length. They struggled at Wembley last season in the Champions League, and they struggled when they made it there in the FA Cup because you can't play that style consistently without wearing all your players down. And you look at their Wembley woes. And it plays into the hands of Boss's tactics too. Boss likes to play wide, Mm -hmm. very wide. And it exposes spaces as well. And you Mm -hmm. look at at the Spurs team, if they want to go out and press against a team like 
Dortmund who have pace with Pulisic and you have pace with Aubameyang and you have Phillips and then Yarmo will be coming in as well. That's a team full with pace and that's a team that can really hit you on the counterattack and especially at a stadium as big as Wembley. It's an energy sapping stadium and you look at Dortmund as you mentioned you're a betting man you're going to put your money on Dortmund. They're coming off of a disappointing draw. Spurs are going to be coming off of a high of winning against Everton unless they blow it somehow. But I assume that by the time this is done recording, uh, the game will be over and they should be comprehensive winners. I just have the gut feeling. One quick thing. I I really hope that we see Jeremy Collian in this game Mm -hmm. because that that, that is a very big concern for me with Zagadu considering how wide the pitch is Mm -hmm. and... We know he's not the pace, he's the customers on the left side, and Tottenham do like the counterattack. And I really want to see Toyan in that left side, his creativity, his pace, his work rates. I really hope we get that debut from him because I think that would be the best possible choice at that spot considering Schmelzer's not there now. Mm-hmm. So I really hope we see Toyan get his debut. I think he'll do well for us. And for $5 million, by the way, we haven't talked about the, the transfers. Mm-hmm. I think that was... For, for just strictly money value, I think that was the best transfer we made this summer, considering the potential he has, the holes we have in wing backs. Schmelzer's 29, Pichek's 32. So we got a German international, someone that played very well in the Euros and very promising. I love that move, and I can't wait to see him on the pitch. You mentioned the transfers. As we'll, we'll, we'll finish it on this. What did you make of the transfer season by Dortmund? Talk about the players that they signed. And including Armo, and we can finish it up on that, and you can give us a grade A, B, C, D, E on mm-hmm. how they did in the transfer window this summertime. As of now, I give them a B. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the losing Usman Dembele, you, you can't give an A just because of the quality you lose, the game changing ability. If he played in today's fiber game, we would have won the game. He, he can literally won a game by himself. So the fact that we're taking him out of our team, I can't give him an A. I cannot give him an A. But I will say that we have potential to jump up to an A, depending on how the season goes, considering the money we spent on the players we got, the quality we brought in, the depth we brought in. And we have a couple of these kids that they could, they're hit or miss, but they're most likely going to hit. And Tolian, Dahoud, there's some quality players Mm -hmm. in there. The Yarmolenko signing... I like Yarmolenko. We pay $25 million for him. That's a good fee for him. But personally, I would have rather see us spend 40 or 50 for Jelson Martins, for a Malcolm, for a game-changer on the wing, the same type of player that we had in Dembele. Because mm-hmm. you're almost more of a direct, a, a direct winger. He'll run at you. He'll give you pace and strength. And I think the way we set up with this team, how we like to go wide, we like to play one-twos. A quicker, smaller winger, a flashier guy like Justin Martin from Lisbon, I think that would have been the move. Mm-hmm. And we have the money for it. So, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the Armando signing, but I would have liked to see us go in another direction. That's the only criticism I'm, I have for, for this window. Mm-hmm. But I think we did as, as good as we possibly could, considering we had to replace our best, not our best, our most impactful player with a week in the transfer window. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Dork and Vosky, brilliant as always, so. All right, I want to say once again, thank you to Mark. He's BVB Miami on Twitter at Miami1909. Uh, stay safe, Mark. We we hope everything's all right. Hopefully you and your family can stay safe, 
nothing bad happens to your home. Hopefully, most of the people down in southern Florida as well. Hopefully, the flooding isn't as bad, and hopefully the hurricanes do not wipe you guys out. And you got all of our thoughts, and you have all of our prayers from everyone in the Dortmund community, everybody in the soccer community, everybody around the United States. And this is a great thing about the United States, and a lot of people don't realize this, is that when something like this comes comes around, and, you know, there's politics, and people always differ on each side, and people don't like this. Hey, you forget and people, about it. You forget about it, and you show your true colors, and, you know, people come together helping people, raising money, raising awareness you see it on social media hey this person stuck at this house and people are driving their cars to help these people out and the power of social media when used in the right hands is just incredible to see how people are helping each other out and hopefully that if anyone's in need anybody needs to reach out anyone listening to this podcast that's in southern florida and you just need help or you just need you know some way to, to just take yourself away from this terrible situation just reach out let people know yeah, Everybody's especially here. reach out to me. Uh, I will be more than willing to help out anyone or give advice to anyone or just just be the middleman for anything because mm-hmm. it is a it is a really big hurricane, man. It's mm. it's is a hundred miles wide, and this storm is so big it covers two Florida's. So just I hope everyone's safe, and I want to say thank you because the support we I've received of just all the people out there it really shows how great Dortmund fans are and how great people can be in in times of distress mm-hmm. and I don't mean to get all political for a couple seconds but it really is sad how we're only this we're collective in our worst and we cannot be this positive and it, it, it baffles your mind because why can't we just act like this the whole time why can't the world be like this 24-7 why can't we all support each other and be there for each other and mm-hmm. it, it takes for disasters and natural and natural disasters and things on the low to get us like this. And it really is sad. But you know what? At least we see it. At least we see that there's some there's some love there. There's some support there. And we'll take whatever we can of it in this world. He's Mark. I'm Tyler. And once again, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Dortmund Podcast. Oh,